Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. I'm Jim Dubois. Politics and sports have often intersected in modern history, and in recent years, controversial team names and athlete protests during games have garnered much attention. The Washington, D.C. NFL team recently agreed to change its current name that many find offensive, and other sports franchises with names associated with indigenous Americans are under increasing pressure to do the same. Earlier this month, the Minnesota Wilds' Matt Dumba became the first NHL player to kneel in support of the Black Lives Matter movement during the national anthem. This week on Dialogue Minnesota, a look at how sports became a platform for expressing political views and how today's athletes are using their celebrity to promote racial equity. Joining us is Douglas Hartman, a professor and chair of the sociology department at the University of Minnesota. He's an expert on the sociology of sport. Professor Hartman, welcome back to Dialogue Minnesota. Such a pleasure to be here once again. Thank you. The NBA has resumed its season, and many players are wearing symbols of the Black Lives Matter movement on their jerseys. When did the concept emerge that sports could serve as a platform for the political and ideological views of athletes? It's actually a fairly well-established, long-standing notion. Not one that's always popular, but one that activist-oriented athletes and supporters have had for a long time goes back almost probably to the beginning of modern sport history, for sure, early 20th century America. Black athletes like, for example, Jack Johnson saw themselves as not just athletes, but as commentators and contributors to broader movements for racial change. Some awareness of that in the mid 20th century, athletes like Jackie Robinson, Joe Lewis, Jesse Armstrong, who also were well aware of their role in social change, though they weren't as explicit and outspoken about that, choosing instead to let their performances speak for them. Um, I'd say that the specific awareness of sport as an arena for activism and self-conscious protest and demonstration really took hold in the 1960s. Muhammad Ali was one of the leading athletes of the era who was committed to that. Other stars, such as Bill Russell or Owens at that point, uh, were, were evolved. And then probably the most famous example of this, at least up until recent years, is Tommy Smith and John Carlos in the 1968 African-American Olympic protest movement. This is the movement that is most famous for Smith and Carlos giving the clenched fist salute on the Olympic victory stand in 1968 but was actually part of a much larger mobilization effort led by Harry Edwards, a sociologist at then San Jose State, to explicitly and self-consciously use sport as an avenue to contribute to the um, civil rights agenda. Former NFL player Colin Kaepernick is the most famous athlete known for speaking out against police brutality. But as a whole, the NBA seems to be the most politically outspoken of all the pro sports organizations. Why has the NBA in particular and its players become so supportive of racial equality? Yeah, the the activism, self-consciousness and awareness of the NBA has been pretty amazing. There's a couple kind of background factors. Um, One is the extraordinary representation and success of black athletes in basketball. Um, So a very powerful presence, a strong union 
um, in the NBA, far stronger than in other professional sports, and with very strong leadership, um, leadership from the elite star black players who themselves have been quite outspoken and, and very conscious. Um, I'd say there, you know, LeBron James deserves a lot of credit. There are others as well. And I think those folks have a consciousness, awareness, and a commitment to taking action. Um, you know, just to kind of not, not to go past it too quickly, you know, LeBron James organized his Miami Heat teammates back in the aftermath of the Travion Martin murder in Florida with a silent clenched fist salute that was simply posted as a picture on social media um, almost a dozen years ago now. That was a tremendously powerful and early statement. Also in the NBA, um, there was a real organization. Chris Paul was part of this, others from the Clippers, um, against the really old-fashioned bigotry and racism of like the Clippers owner um, a number of years ago, also taking stands against um, homophobia, um, when North Carolina was scheduled to host the All-Star Game, they kind of stood up in protest to that. So, so those are some of the factors that help explain, you know, a consciousness um, among black basketball players, a real critical mass of participants and elite level participants and a very strong union. The other thing I want to say, though, really important on this is just as important in basketball's prominence here is also the WNBA, the women athletes have been extremely prominent, um, and I would say on the leading edge, both in terms of their consciousness of police brutality and other forms of anti-Black stereotypes, um, as well as the innovation and creativity in their protesting and gestures. Um, Our own Minnesota Lynx, a number of years ago, after one of the first police shootings in this town, insisted upon talking about racial and social issues in their press conferences, were t-shirts and other emblems of support. This was well before when the NBA was only, the male league was only dipping their toes in the water on this. Um, So tremendous um, leadership on the part of black female athletes and their counterparts in the WNBA. One other point, I don't know if this completely fits the stream of consciousness here, but I guess you could edit it in if it makes more sense. The NBA also has had very supportive um, management and coaches. Um, one of the most notable developments of the last decade of activism has been the strong stances that white coaches like Greg Popovich of the Spurs um, or Steve Kerr of the Warriors have taken um, on a range of social, racial, and political issues, taken on um, conservative actors and forces in society, and also strong support of their players and other players in the league to exercise their right to speak out on on issues of social concern. And Professor Hartman, you had mentioned the WNBA. We should note that Minnesota Lynx player Maya Moore, whom you mentioned, she's considered one of the best players in the WNBA. She has again chosen to sit out this season to focus on social justice work. She's working on reversing a conviction of a man in prison whom she believes is innocent. Would you say Moore is a leader in the WNBA at this point, or are you seeing some other WNBA players taking similar stances? I think she's been a leader and continues to be a leader, if if only in aspirational terms, about the incredible work she's done. And actually, we should update that. You know, it's not she's just aspiring. She's gotten... I think one wrongful conviction um, already overturned. Um, tremendous accomplishment. I think that helps explain why she's taking another year to continue this work. She's not only calling for change, she's making change happen. Um, clearly, she herself is a leader. 
Um, I don't know the inner workings of the Lynx over the last few years. She's been part of that. I think other athletes um, and members of the coaching staff have been part of that team. Uh, but I do think she's become a very visible face and inspirational presence uh, for basketball players and athletes in many other sports as well. I mean, it's remarkable her willingness and commitment to take a year and now a second year off at the height of her competitive powers and her physical peak uh, to do this amazing social justice work. So definitely uh, somebody with the local angle that has far broader national and international reputation and contributions. And um, I just don't always remember all the different names, but she's right at the top of the list of athlete activists who've really taken um, social issues to heart and the commitment to social change made that a priority in, in recent years. We're talking with Douglas Hartman, professor and chair of the sociology department at the University of Minnesota, about the intersection of politics and sports. After years of protests and complaints, the Washington NFL team has announced they would change their name. Why is this happening now, and uh, especially after so many years of resistance to this change? Uh, that's a good question. Um, this is an ownership and fan base that have been deeply entrenched and committed to one of the most offensive and racial um, stereotypes in society, not just in sports. I, I think you can't help but recognize the public pressure that has emerged in the wake of the killing of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. And what's important there is not just activism in sport, but it shifts in public opinion with respect to sport and standing up against racism that is perpetuated in and through sports. I think what's happened with the Washington team is just one more indication of the power that these protests have exercised in society and the pressure that they put on the sporting establishment to get rid of some of their most racist elements and make good on some of the higher ideals about sport as an arena for contributing to racial justice, fairness, and equity. I'd put in the same camp, amazing as it is that the Washington team has changed its name. I think um, right up there is the dramatic shift that NFL owners have had in terms of recognizing the need and desire of football players to be able to, to stand kind of or kneel in solidarity with Kaepernick. Uh, what's happened in NASCAR one of the sports that's kind of the widest and most traditional of all the, in the American sporting landscape and the steps they've taken both to recognize Black Lives Matter and in support of Bubba Wallace, one of the African-American drivers on the circuit. Those are pretty remarkable uh, shifts for leagues and owners who've been really on the conservative, even reactionary edge of a number of these social issues over the past few years. Um, I'm often asked about this. I, I do, and maybe it sounds a little cynical, but I also want to caution. I don't think it's because owners and administrators in these leagues have necessarily all of a sudden seen the full uh, weight of where they've been wrong and realized their errors. I think this is in many ways bending to social pressures and market realities of how um, sports consumers, um, sports fans, um, and this includes not only watching on, on television, but advertising, commodities and commercialization and merchandising, how all of those things um, are really reflecting tremendous shifts in society 
with respect to anti-Black racism, support for Black Lives Matter, and trying to take actions on all manner of racial injustices in our society. Um, here, the power might not be so much ideology uh, and belief and commitment to the greater good, the greater ideas, um, and just the recognition of the bottom line and where, how the public has shifted and really uh, to even stay viable um, and profitable in a commercial enterprise that's so big as sport, the need to uh, kind of uh, sway, uh, move with the pressures of where the market and, and the masses of Americans are headed. Why do we have so many teams, not just in pro sports, but also college and high school teams with names and mascots that are associated with indigenous Americans? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to, you know, the whole history of anti-Native sentiment, and that's probably even a nice way to say it in our history and culture. And I think given how poorly our country has treated Native Americans, the history of extermination, of land stealing, of unbelievable uh, mistreatment, and the small numbers of uh, Native Americans that remain, it's a small enough population that they could be easily um, easily abused and have stereotypes that uh, were, were circulated um, w- without an awareness of how deeply negatively these impact members of the community. That's a part of it. I think another part of it is just how, in, I mean, maybe to put another point on it, how deeply entrenched our country is and unaware of our history of treatment and mistreatment of Native Americans and Native peoples in general in North America. Um, We live in a nation that's predicated on theft of land, on extermination and genocide and killing. None of us would be here without that history. Um, So in many ways, we disavow that, we dismiss it. Uh, But the mascots are also a way in which we try to kind of make it seem okay. Uh, we take these small symbolic steps that make it seem like we're recognizing and celebrating a certain legacy or tradition, which actually still plays off of the worst kind of caricatures and terrible historical legacy of treatment of these groups. Um, but again, because they've been small, powerless, it, it's something that we haven't been as aware of Um, even when it's right in front of our faces. We're talking with Douglas Hartman, professor and chair of the sociology department at the University of Minnesota, about the intersection of politics and sports. Let's talk about the influence that corporations and sponsors have over professional sports. In the wake of George Floyd's killing, many companies pledged to do more about systemic racism. Is the changing attitude of the corporate world enabling athletes to be more vocal on and off the playing field or court without fear of reprisal? Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Uh, An opening up of opportunities is certainly in play as owners, as leagues, as merchandisers and advertisers realize where public opinion is shifting, Uh, especially the sports buying, sports consuming public. Um, how how they move. I'd probably go even further than that, that for a lot of these companies, activism is becoming good business. In the sports scholarship right now, there's attention to what we call the corporatization of activism, the the marketing of mobilization. This is where Kaepernick is famous not only for his leadership in leading the Take a Knee 
kind of movement and gesture, but also in partnering with Nike to market himself and Nike Apparel as activism, as contributing to social change and to a broader consciousness. Um, you know, he's unfortunately, you know, been completely blackballed from his occupation as an NFL quarterback. He hasn't played a down um, since he was blackballed out of the league, but he's stayed both a cultural presence and a source of employment and uh, money because he's been so successful as an activist, so successful that Nike has an entire marketing campaign around Kaepernick and his activism. It does raise questions for a lot of critically minded sports scholars about just how radical activism is when it's corporate America that's pitching it, that's promoting it, that's branding it and benefiting from it, talking about issues of compromise or incorporation and whether this is kind of, you know, watering down the message in the moment. I think there's real questions about that, especially with respect to the economic dimensions and the kind of complicity with economic inequalities, with global transnational corporations and the, and the push for extreme profits. I'm not sure exactly how radical all of this is, uh, but for sure, when you think about the race front, um, a lot of very large companies with very large economic portfolios and interests have realized that it makes good business sense to not only allow athletic activism, but to support it, celebrate it, and help promote it. Let's talk about the notion of fairness in sports. Fans get very emotional and obsessed about wrongly decided calls by officials, and the rules are constantly tweaked in sports to uh, make the games more equitable. Do you think one of the reasons why people are drawn to sports is because they exist in a world where clear-cut rules help inspire a spirit of fairness? Well, that's a really interesting and multifaceted question, Um, fairness in sport. On the one hand, I think it's absolutely true that sports fans want the competitions they watch to be fair, have rules, so the outcomes are just. And so part of the concern for some fans is when activism and protest compromises the integrity of those athletic competitions. By the way, I've I've done some research on this. One, One of the papers I just got done working on that's under review right now, we look at whether athletes who are more likely to protest have improvements or declines in terms of their performance on the field. Because one of the things people worry about is, well, they're so focused on other issues that they're not giving us their all. Um, Our results suggest that's not the case. It doesn't help them, but it doesn't hurt them either. They're just as likely to be winners or losers. This is in the NFL, the ones who are protesters as otherwise. But it is about fairness and and the absolute commitment within the realm of sport to fairness, to meritocracy, to appropriate outcomes competitions at stake here. But the broader thing that your question raises is about the extent to which sport as an institution promotes ideals of fairness and equity, opportunity and meritocracy in society more generally. Because a lot of sports fans and leaders in the sport establishment go further than just wanting to address and maintain fairness within the world of sport. They really want to argue and often take pride in claims that sport is an institution that promotes fairness and equity um, in the broader society. That's to me one of the powerful and complicated things because a lot of athletes who are activists, they believe that too. 
and they want to hold up the sports world to contributing to a greater justice, more equity, more fairness, more opportunity, meritocracy for all. And so in a certain sense, a lot of athlete activists think that's exactly what they're trying to uphold, not just in sport, but in society. However, at the same time, that's where some folks start to draw the line um, outside of the sporting world or, or even from within it, where they then want to say, that either has to happen organically or not at all, because sports then is also an arena for enjoyment, an arena for fun and entertainment and distraction from all the complexities of social life. So really, when I'm confronted with these kind of questions about sports and fairness in competition and in society, uh, in the activist context, what I tend to say is the contradiction, paradox, or irony of the sporting world is that sports figures want to have their cake and eat it too. They want to believe sport is fair and contributes to a greater society, uh, but they also don't want sport to be complicated or corrupted um, or compromised by protests, by social issues. Um, and they do that at the same time that they desperately want to believe and often claim that what's so awesome about sports is not that it's fun and entertaining, but it helped make the world a better place a just place, a safer place, a fairer place. All of those ideals are awesome. They don't always all go together. And a lot of athletic activism, uh, what makes it so complicated and controversial is that they force us to pull those apart and to figure out which of the ideals about merit, about equity, about fairness in sport or in society we're most committed to uh, when we can't always have it all. We're talking with Douglas Hartman, professor and chair of the sociology department at the University of Minnesota about the intersection of politics and sports. As politics take a more prominent role in sports, is this perhaps taking away one of the very few spaces that brought Americans from different political beliefs together for a common experience? Are, are sports still a place for shared culture in America or like seemingly everything else, are sports splintering into tribalistic fan groups? Yeah, that's a great question. Again, um, you're obviously thinking about this stuff almost maybe as much as I am. I mean, one thing I always say to start a, a comment about sports and politics, uh, we have a lot of taboos, cultural taboos that want to believe that sport and politics are separate and need to stay separate. And I think those are very artificial, if not mythological, because sport and politics have always been bound up, especially in American culture across the 20th century. Um, if you think about the widespread use of anthems and flags and even military flyovers, it might not seem like politics to some, but if you're not in the center of the visions of nationalism or patriotism that are being expressed, you very clearly see these are political. They're expressions of certain visions of unity that marginalize or leave out others. That said, especially political figures in American history up until very recently have mostly towed this line, whether Democrat or Republican. Most politicians have not wanted to explicitly or self-consciously politicize sport, do their politics with it. Rather, the kind of politics that they've tended to do is politics, as you alluded to, of unity. They've tended to use sport to signal their everyman, all-American status to a voting electorate or they've used sports calls and presence at sporting events or whatever to uh, try to unify 
uh, across racial lines or religious lines or even political and ideological lines. Um, even though um, sports typically, when it's bound up with politics, you can't have it all. There's divisions that always go along with unity. But for the most part, American political leaders, presidents most of all, have wanted to see and maintain a separation of sport and politics, which has meant that the politics that they do are politics of unity, politics of organic solidarity. That has been compromised and challenged in recent years. And the current occupant of the White House has been at the leading edge of that. Far more, I mean, it's not even far more. It's in a way that no president before or since has ever used sport. The current president explicitly and deliberately appears to use sport when he talks about athletes or his own athletic involvement in polarizing fashion to play to his base, to build up support from those who already agree with and think like him, and to marginalize and isolate folks on the other side. This is a pretty remarkable moment that we're in. There's a lot of things that are unprecedented about the way that activism, protest, and politics are coming together in American culture right now. The number of athlete activists that we see, the sustainment of that, the shifts in public opinion. But let's not forget the one you just asked me about, the ways that the current president has explicitly and deliberately politicized um, sport in a very uh, overt and deliberate way. Now, I'm not necessarily saying he's wrong in a moral sense on that. Um, and it might be expedient politically without a doubt. Uh, but what I am saying is it's unprecedented the degree to which and the ways in which the current leader has explicitly politicized sports rhetoric, sports references, and his own talk about and participation in athletics. Douglas Hartman is a professor and chair of the sociology department at the University of Minnesota. Professor Hartman, thanks again for joining us on Dialogue Minnesota. It's a pleasure. And as always, I uh, am so uh, rewarded to be pushed by your questions, which are so thoughtful and, and, and provocative. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Dialogue Minnesota, conversations about the issues that matter to you. We're in the throes of a political campaign season unlike any we've seen in recent American history. The COVID-19 pandemic is throwing traditional campaigning by the wayside. Even the voting process itself is challenging as election officials scramble to staff polling places and record numbers of voters request absentee ballots. On the next Dialogue Minnesota, University of Minnesota Associate Professor of Political Science Catherine Pearson joins us to discuss the state of politics in these tumultuous times. I'm Jim Dubois. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening. See you next time.